What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. Welcome to the final episode of season one of Forked Product. How are you doing? I'm good. Doing well, Nick. How are you? I'm good. This has been a lot of fun. I think uh, it'll be good to spend a few minutes talking about, you know, what we've learned and maybe the future a little bit. Reflecting on life in, in the crypto land <laughs> and, and in the intersection of crypto land and podcast land, both of which I, I think are on the rise. 100%. Uh, so we'll be at the intersection of Twitter, Telegram, and podcasts. <laughs> Prepare oh, to no. never get anything done again. Oh man, yeah. Even even listening to podcasts, like you miss a week if you go off the air for a week. I, you know, my backlog builds up, and it gets pretty spooky. But such is the world we live in today. Yeah, it's so true. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll I'll just list out a few topics that we might want to dig into here. And, you know, I think it'll be good to hear what we've learned so far and, you know, just a little bit about what we've enjoyed and, you know, even maybe some of the struggles of starting a podcast for the first time, uh, where we're headed next with Fork the Product. You know, what are some of the most interesting areas in crypto to you at the moment and me? Um, And then we can talk about you know, perhaps where we want to take this uh, and some of the focus areas we want to go in the future. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Well, let me ask you first, what have you learned through this process, whether about the process itself, podcasting, crypto, you name it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, let's see, where do I want to start? I think I'll save the the reflection on the process itself um, for a little bit later. I think we've, we've got a few tips we've learned, not completely dialed, but We've definitely learned some good things along the way. Um, if I think about all of the guests that we've interviewed this season, um, you know, we, we started this podcast with a goal to really try to discern the the approaches that people are taking with blockchain and crypto products to uh, thinking about product management and user experience. And so we've talked to, I feel, a pretty good blend of of both of those things. We've talked to some designers, we've talked to product managers, we've talked to CEOs, people leading projects. Um, and, you know, interestingly, I guess one of the takeaways I've been thinking about is just that it actually isn't that different um, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. So we've talked to teams about yeah. the different tools that they're using. We've talked to teams about the different processes and cadences that they're using to, to get work done. Um, not really just, you know... And, it's not different than what you might see with other types of software development, um, which I guess isn't surprising, but it, you know, that was part of the, the adventure this first season was to figure out are, are people really doing things differently? Um, so a lot of similarities there. Um, areas where it's different, obviously it's, it's changing so fast, right? So, and, and I've witnessed this in my own work, you've witnessed this in your work, but you know, we were just talking about podcasts, right? If you miss a week, in the crypto universe, you're behind, right? If you miss a day, yeah. you can feel behind. And so for product <laughs> teams that are actually trying to build things and try to get a, trying to get a handle on a market or even an MVP, 
it can be difficult when things are changing so fast. Um, you know, I was at East Denver and watching these teams try to get their hands around all of the different tools to build an MVP. You know, literally things are changing there at the event, right? Code is being written that's impacting downstream projects yeah. at the event. And and that's happening on a daily basis. So <laughs> dealing with the rate of change, I think, is a, is a unique challenge. Um, you know, maybe not, yeah. not historically unique. I think every sort of technological innovation goes through this. But in today's world, I think we're moving especially fast. And, you know, a lot of these blockchain projects are living at the intersection yep. of other technologies, too, whether it's artificial intelligence or IoT, um, you know, and, and put that on top of an industry focus. And I think you've got a, uh, a really fast moving world that it takes it takes really smart people and very dedicated teams to stay on top of. Yeah, I could not agree more that I think we both were probably expecting teams to be operating in a completely different way um, compared to other companies and traditional software. And that definitely is not the case. And in many ways, I think I've been kind of blown away at particularly in some of the folks that we interviewed they have not really taken um, or they may not have taken a super sophisticated approach in how they approach something like token economics, for example. Uh, but they are, and I, I guess I had assumed that, oh, surely you must be like consulting with somebody with a PhD in economics and behavioral economics and um, game theory. And no, not the case at all. And these people are just credit to them just jumping straight into the deep end and testing their way into seeing how this works. And yeah, I think that's been really interesting and impressive. Uh, I think one of the things that is most different to me, and this may be a result of not being particularly closely connected to open source software community, which I think is a little bit more like this, but just a sense of community and the requirement that these big projects, uh, they need to really focus on community. And you don't really see the role of like community developer or community lead or whatever, you know, there are a bunch of different names in crypto land for this, but you see that with every single big uh, project and you don't see that traditionally in too many companies in the traditional software world, maybe, you know, at GitHub or at, um, I don't know, some other sort of collaboration software type companies. But that is definitely a unique aspect that is critically important to them. And, and I think it's positive. I, I, I quite like it. And I think that's really more results of the sort of open source aspect of the crypto community. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I, even when we were talking to people uh, this season about how they're, you, you know, testing things with users. We heard a lot of feedback that they're dog fooding with all of their, yeah. you know, community, community friends, right? So they're reaching out through their community networks to figure out how to get feedback, which is good because it means that we're building an ecosystem and that ecosystem is supporting itself um, to keep things moving forward. I think the next turn of the crank, the next challenge, which, and maybe we want to talk about, you know, some of the things on the horizon, but how do we get outside of that community now and start growing this to a wider audience, right? Because I, I, one of the things that I've definitely mm -hmm. witnessed in the past six months, working with projects, going to conferences, observing the space is that 
we're nowhere near uh, mainstream adoption. You know, <laughs> it's it, we're still we're still years away from what I feel is going to be a, a yeah, basic user true. experience where anybody can pick up a blockchain and enabled product and use it. Um, so yeah, so I, th- I think we've learned some good things. Yeah, I'm curious on the on the topic of design and UX. Do you feel like, given your background, do you do you feel satisfied with the emphasis that the crypto community has put on UX and design? I like seeing where things are headed in terms of the focus. Um, so, in the past couple of months, I've been to ETH Denver. I was at the MIT Bitcoin conference. I was an EO show in San Francisco. I'm headed to Consensus next week, and this conversation continues to come up in all these communities, mostly with the developers, right? Which is how do we make this easier for users? Which is a great question. It's a question we should be asking. So I'm satisfied with that. I'm really happy to see where that's going. What is disappointing to me as somebody with a UX background is the lack of um, design talent um, raising their voice about these issues in the space. Um, I think Mm. part of it's because it's such a technical domain right now that you know, mm-hmm. all of the staffing, all of the resources are really concentrated on dev. And I'm not sure that design's getting a fair shake in terms of, you know, even being able to put a designer on a team. Um, but I feel like there should be more conversations yeah. happening in the design community about how to make this stuff easier because it's it's fundamentally uh, important technology that is going to impact users in one way or another within the next five years, you know, in ways that we haven't even imagined yet. And I think now is the time to be intentional and to start getting ahead of this as a design community where we can actually start, you know, being innovative and, and helping users adopt this faster versus sort of reacting to change. Well, and, and you don't want to embed bad UX norms at such an early stage. hundred percent. Yeah, I, I agree. It's overall, I'm a little surprised at the lack of voice from ux you know compared to the developer community um i do at the same time i do think there are some some improvements being made i I told you about my experience trying because this is another trend that i find fascinating but the decentralized finance DeFi movement i think is super interesting and i think actually could be the next sort of breakout use case uh that who knows, could fuel another run-up. But the it, it is just a fascinating concept that you can now buy a bunch of Ether or Bitcoin or whatever and start lending money out. Or you can get a loan yourself and pay pay down a, you know, a car loan or whatever um, using DAI, for example, and or start a business by taking out a loan in DAI and pay it down over time. And it's still very early days, and I, I think incredibly risky. So I wouldn't, I would not, you know, recommend that anybody go, you know, taking a loan out uh, in, uh, to any crazy degree. But I think it is. There's definitely the beginning signs of something really interesting, and it really was very easy for me to set up using Coinbase Wallet transfer. In fact, they just made an improvement that I noticed the other day. You can connect wallet to your coinbase app make it very easy to transfer without a fee uh you know create or add ether for example to a collateralized debt position withdraw die put it on compound earn interest 
then you could potentially buy more ether and then, you know, get yourself into a sticky position <laughs> in the future, <laughs> which I'm sure will also be a, a really big downside. And I can see it's going to get a lot of people are going to bemoan how this is just like the financial crisis of 2008-9. But I still think it's interesting stuff and we'll see where it goes. Um, okay. So what other thoughts do you have? Um, what I would like to see... Well, not what I would like to see. What I've observed and what I think is a great trend um, on the developer side is just the amount of tooling that's becoming available. Mm, yeah. Um, developers, it's still hard, right? And I'm not a developer. So, you know, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn, but I work with developers. I'm constantly speaking with that community and seeing uh, across different chains, seeing all of these different tools you know, yes. being made available for developers and and a conversation is happening about how do you how do we make this easier for incoming developers because we're going to need more people you know to work on these projects and you know the way that it's been over the past several years has not been an easy road for somebody trying to break into blockchain development so seeing teams invest time to build tools to share tools to make their own lives easier i think that's an important part of of going a little bit faster yeah, I I mean, I think it's, I'm sure a lot of people have a position on, and, a, and certainly the diehard crypto fans, but, you know, Amazon Web Services coming out with managed blockchain, and I forget the name of their other tool, like a querying tool for, for like a block explorer. But in my mind, I think that's good. And I think, you know, they went live what last week for supporting ethereum and hyperledger fabric i think that those are all positive developments it'll make it easier for people to get in and start tinkering with this stuff and you know i think the other trend that's really interesting is on the one hand you see things like layer two scaling approaches and uh i i don't i don't know why i've not really seen too much conversation about this but in many ways you know, when somebody wants to develop a, you know, a solution that leverages some type of layer two scaling approach, and you're creating like a little ecosystem off the main Ethereum chain, for example, you're trusting that whatever transactions occur on that second layer are, you have to trust somebody. And how is that so different than and yes, eventually you resolve back to the main chain and that's, you know, that's good and you can rely on the security of the main chain. But how is that much different than like an enterprise blockchain? <laughs> and, you know, eventually we may be connecting this constellation of little enterprise blockchains to maybe Ethereum or, or whatever. Like somebody has a private Ethereum enterprise chain and you eventually connect that to the Ethereum main chain. That's like layer two scaling. And so... I'm glad to see all of this experimentation and I'm not dogmatic in saying like, no, everything has to be main chain Ethereum or, or die, or frankly, like whether Ethereum or some other type of blockchain, which is another interesting trend. But I think I am really glad to see that there's a lot more experimentation and hopefully some, some people, you know, I think the, the, anti-enterprise blockchain fervor is dying down a bit as well, which I think is a positive development. Um, yeah, it, it's it's all really early days. I agree that um, inter-blockchain communication is going to be a really critical step for getting this to all play together. Yeah. Um, another thing that I've really 
kind of noticed, you know, in conversations over the past six months is just this, all of this stuff is on a spectrum, right? You know, decentralization is on a spectrum, yes. user experience is on a spectrum, um, performance is on a spectrum. And, and so where I think, you know, people started in the right place, which is, you know, an ideal vision of, of the future and where they want to go with things like decentralization. And, you know, I think that's a worthy thing to aspire to and try to build towards there's a certain level of pragmatism that has to come into play where you know you have to decide what's what's going to get us down the road today and how do we make sure that the future is open and we can still think about getting to that place where we want to be um so i agree it's it's cool to see these things spin up i think it's going to be really important to for people to keep that spectrum in mind as they build things you know and and make conscious decisions about where do we want to be in the spectrum to get where we're trying to go yeah like Given, given, you know, the, a choice between a version of Facebook that, you know, everything is completely centralized or a version of Facebook that maybe decentralizes a little bit here and there, like, obviously, I'll take the slightly more decentralized one, even if it's not running on Ethereum, you know, or some other blockchain, like their own blockchain, yeah. like, that's all positive. And in fact... The fact that Facebook is, you know, exploring seriously, you know, blockchain efforts. I mean, I've always, when I first learned about blockchain and crypto, I was like, well, one of the big motivations for me was to disrupt and shake up the, you know, the big four or five tech companies. And so even if it means, oh yeah, like they have some of the brightest people in the world that can build this stuff. Um, but even if it's just like a little sort of subversive group of people that are agitating in the in the hardcore crypto um, side of the world, and you get the big companies like Facebook to take notice and be like, "Oh, I think we really have to invest in this stuff," and we may actually we may have to sacrifice a little bit of the control and centralization that we have. Like to me, that's a big win, even if it's not the full vision of you know complete decentralization. So. I'm I'm encouraged by that, and I think at this point, you know, decentralization and a, a movement towards more decentralization is inevitable. Well, and I mean, you think about, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apples of the world. You know, when I see things like the Apple Card on the horizon, right? Mm-hmm. On, you know, one part of me says, well, we're still, you know, building these highly centralized solutions, and this isn't this isn't really moving us in the direction that we want to be in terms of decentralization. What it is doing is it's opening up a conversation with users and consumers about what it means to transact digitally in, in more natural ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we start moving towards this future vision of value transfer that I think the blockchain and crypto can enable, Mm -hmm. it really is about behavior change for people. And so if a big company totally can start true. making you know making developments that push people towards changing their behavior even a little bit it opens up a pathway to start a much broader conversation with with you know with big user bases about you know what if you could do this plus you know something that's a little bit more decentralized and then you're not introducing 10 concepts at once Absolutely. you're saying you're you're already doing this let's just do this a little bit more exactly yeah. And, you know, hopefully to your point, and again, I, I actually, I think looking at how, how different the 
patterns of behavior and interactions with digital goods are in China and Southeast Asia as compared to the US. Like it's, it's pretty wild how different it is and how differently they interact and how much more they exchange crypto goods. And uh, you are, I agree, like even Apple, if they're rolling out changes like this in a centralized way, you know, they just happen to be doing it without a blockchain, but they are embedding these new mental models of how to exchange goods in a digital way. And I think that will, I agree, it'll benefit blockchain and crypto. And hopefully by the time these new interaction patterns and norms emerge with, you know, interacting with digital goods, hopefully the the experience of, of blockchain will have been abstracted away. So you don't even know. It's just another, you know, HTTP or some other protocol under the hood that you don't necessarily know or care, understand how it works. Oh, hundred percent. We, I think we've said this a bunch of times in episodes, but we'll know we've won with blockchain and crypto when we stop talking about blockchain and crypto, <laughs> you know, when the, uh, the day that UX is having a moment with blockchain will be when my mom can pick up an app and use it and, and have written something to chain and never, yeah. and never know that and, and gotten value <laughs> from that interaction. So, well, totally. Well, that's kind of maybe a good segue. Let's talk about, um, some of the stuff that you're excited about that, that are on the horizon. So either stuff that you're working on yourself or technologies that you're seeing, applications that you're seeing, what's on your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, I talked a little bit about DeFi or decentralized finance. Uh, I'm mostly interested in that actually, because I think it, I guess I, I do really like the idea of sort of financial independence. And actually I think about why I find that interesting is also because you look at the state of machine learning ai and you know what is the state of a job you know and career paths and you look at um look at the crypto community which is far more distributed and remote and decentralized than most companies and i think this is the way this is a direction that a lot of the world is headed uh with or without crypto and I just think crypto gives you a good opportunity to have a lot more financial independence. And, you know, you look at things like Gitcoin, which is a really interesting project, and they've done a lot of really good work. And I think it's really exciting to see that stuff because I I can almost imagine a future, even five years from now, where maybe I quit and don't have like a standard nine to five job and I just do a bunch of little interesting side projects and collect you know, a little bit of money by, I don't know, like on earn.com. I don't even know if that's what they call it anymore. Coinbase earn, whatever it may be. Um, I do a little bit there. I Maybe I do a little bit of mining on the side. Maybe I, you know, maybe I contribute a little bit of money in DeFi and earn fees off of staking or lending or whatever it may be. And I can just be a lot more free to do what I want day to day. I, I think that would be incredible. And I, I hope that's the direction that we're headed. Uh, and so I'm encouraged to see improvements and adoption in that that side of the world. Um, I think the other really interesting area, which I know you've, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, uh, unfortunately, uh, but non-fungible tokens or... I, there's also another term for it that I've I read about. It's it's something like or maybe a, an RFT, like a refundable token. 
there are a bunch of like weird spinoffs of this concept that to me are really fascinating. And I think to the point that you brought up before about different norms around digital goods, I think that's probably one of the most interesting areas. And as always, gaming is sort of leading the charge. So would love to hear a little bit from you about you know the trends that you're seeing there and what you're excited about on that front. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about NFTs, you know, or semi-fungible tokens or you know, I again, I think the terminology is unimportant, but the and it, complicated. Yeah, well, <laughs> and sorry, blockchain and crypto have a horrible habit of of, you know, building this yeah. this really sort of insider vocabulary and then just, oh, you know, so beating true. it to death and meanwhile the rest of the world is looking at us like we have 18 eyes and saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to stop using the word NFT or semi fungible token. And I'm just going to say digital collectibles. Right. So. Yeah. Or I think it was a 16 Z or Fred who brought up the idea of crypto goods, which I kind of like. It's a good, whatever term we're going to gonna call it. it. I, I think at the end of the day, it's the idea yeah. that I can, I can own something digital that may be of, you know, limited availability and, you know, mm-hmm. start to build out a collection of things or prove that I've been somewhere or done something. Um, you know, so gaming, that's an yeah. interesting application. I think we're going to see a lot of activity. You think about ecosystems like uh, Fortnite and you think about these players that just mm-hmm. invest hours and hours and, you know, cash, real cash into building out players. And if they could, if they could transition to a world where they take that stuff with them or they can actually you know, monetize that by, by reselling that stuff. You know, I was having an interesting conversation with a dev and the idea of, um, you know, uh, basically NFTs or digital goods that are, have been previously used by a notable player. Right. So you think about like, you know, a gaming all-star and and it's lineage. Yeah. And maybe maybe they get to the end of, you know, they win a tournament and at the end of that tournament, they put they put their collection oh my up God. for auction, right? Or they they put it on a marketplace. You know, it, it creates oh, this whole so new economy of like, you know, digital yes. valuable digital things that just hasn't existed before because there hasn't there hasn't been a way to do that. It's like, like a pair of sneakers that Michael Jordan wore in an, in exactly. like an All Star game, and he sells. And, oh you my know, God, it's so, so funny. In the beginning, I think, you know, it's a very sort of narrow slice of people that are interested in that. But as you open that up to other avenues, imagine taking this to a celebrity front, right? And so imagine being able to go see your favorite performer and collecting an NFT to put in your collection because you're a hardcore music fan or you're a complete Taylor Swift fan and you want to you want to have as many NFTs as possible, you know. And and what if you what if you take this a step further then and you say how do we do more good in the world using a system like this and what if you start doing things like auctions right so we're going to have yes. a celebrity auction and we're going to auction yes. off these five NFTs right they're they're the entire collection of Taylor Swift concerts through you know her entire performance whatever it is right um, however that shakes out but then yep. being able to turn that around and say okay we think this is valuable you'll pay for it and let's also do some good in the world and you know do this in a way that can benefit more people yeah. Well, I mean, another thing that is an intersection of all of these things and, you know, getting to your point of doing some good in the world, like I remember when Pokemon Go came out and, you know, you see people walking all over the place and you could recognize them instantly. 
And I, I think I read some article not too long ago, actually, about how, how many pounds of weight of fat were lost by players who used Pokemon Go because <laughs> it got them up and moving far more than any other game. And, and, and it's, what's positive is this is a game that's, yes, I mean, I'm sure there are some serious downsides, like people getting hit by cars because they were staring at their phones crossing the, the street uh, without looking. And that's terrible. <laughs> but if you think about the idea of, this is a game that encouraged people to get out and walk around outdoors and interact with people. And these are people that perhaps would otherwise be playing a game indoors. Uh, I'm, I'm generalizing completely, but clearly like there's, there's some positive aspects of the fact that Pokemon go got people out the door. And what if you could then convert that? And this is where like it could intersect with healthcare. Like you start to have these dis- decentralized games where you can actually prove like, oh yeah, I exercised and you can prove it. Maybe that becomes like an NFT or some form of token that you can redeem for, um, I don't know, real money. You could buy goods and services with that in a digital way. And there's all sorts of really interesting stuff that I think you can do. And I, I agree. I think it's going to be an area with a ton of innovation and lots of really early stage interesting stuff going on right now. Yeah, the idea of motivating group action is pretty fascinating. Um, you know, thinking about yeah. in a player universe or an organization motivating a small group of people and they have to t- take some sort of action in the physical world or they have to, you know, do something together as a team. Everybody has to participate in order to unlock an nft that you know Mm -hmm. which then everybody can own a piece of right um so some sort of fractional ownership and you know attaching some sort of incentive to that that's pretty fascinating that's yeah yeah it's oh it's funny you may have actually heard about this and maybe we should ask a16z for some you know kickbacks uh (laughs) but they i know you listen to their podcast which i do too and it's incredible uh they have one recently yeah (laughs) And, and Frank Chen, but they, I think it was one that they were, uh, what was it? They were talking about the sort of new wave of financial services apps. And they're talking about, yes, there, there's this sort of history of, you know, payday lending companies that do atrocious stuff. And they really, you know, they, they take the back, the shirts off of people's backs and take advantage of them. But there's a new wave of innovation within financial services companies that are doing really interesting stuff and and leveraging uh, social networks a lot more to encourage people to, you know, do positive things like repay their loans. And so they they create these communities that, uh, you know, they incentivize people by you know, bringing the social aspect to it and they form groups and communities online so that if maybe you're wavering on a given day to whether or not to pay your loan back or whatever, the whole community helps encourage that person to do it. And, you know, maybe they're even support groups, but they've been building out a lot more tooling around community aspect to encourage positive behavior. And you can do the same with fitness and all sorts of stuff like that. You see Peloton, like oh yeah, I think there's really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I was just I was just reading an article about Peloton and some of the uh, the groups that have formed out of just you know people getting hooked on 
not even just the exercise, but the social interaction that they're providing through their platform, exactly. which is amazing because, you know, you're talking, it's, it's not about choosing one form of exercise over another. A lot of these people are people mm -hmm. that it was a binary decision, right? Either I don't have time and I'm not going to exercise or right. now there's this new way that I can actually fit health into my life. Yeah. And that's, that's really cool. Well, I think yeah. there's some really great stuff on the horizon. I think we're, you know, just in the past 10 minutes talked about some things that are probably going to be uh, some focuses for us as we move forward with the show. You know, you and I have been talking a bit about uh, what we've learned over this past, you know, 10 episodes or so and where we want to take the show. I think one of the things we settled on is that we're going to try to do Fork the Product as um, a series of seasons. Um, you know, we originally yeah. started thinking that we'd do an episode every two weeks. Um, which, you know, shout out to the creators who can do this every week or putting out multiple episodes a week. It's, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, real respect for people who can manage that kind of production schedule, because trust me, with, uh, you know, full time jobs on both ends and trying to stay connected to the space and coming up with time to do shows, it's difficult, right? It's difficult to find the time. It's difficult to, to figure out how to make the production schedule work. So I think what we're going to do. Yep. Uh, when we spin this back up for the next season is really dig into a set of particular topics. Um, you know, so whether it's user experience or decentralized finance or uh, non fungible tokens, uh, we're going to zero in a little bit more and try to give a little bit more focus to each season. Um, all, all still thinking about things from the lens of product management and user experience. You know, I think that's, that's, those are our roots. Yep. That's where you and I both feel, uh, we can add the most value for our listeners and, and we're most passionate about, frankly. So we'll still bring that to the table, but I think season two is going to have a bit sharper focus. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to trying the new format. I think it'll give us a, a, a new way to keep the episodes fresh and keep the content rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like all things in, in product world and the crypto world, you know, this started as an experiment. It's been a lot of fun so far. And we've learned a lot and we're going to iterate on it and, you know, give it another turn of the crank. And I agree. I think the, the additional focus, I think will be, it'll just be fun to dig deeper into some of these things that I think we're really, really interested in and, uh, can't wait to, you know, meet new people and hear their new perspectives. And particularly as I think we are headed into another really exciting phase of, crypto and Absolutely. blockchain world so i guess final thing to close out this uh final episode for season one would be i just want to say thank you to all of the people that have been on the show so far uh it, it's not easy to find an hour to an hour and a half of your day to carve out to talk with two guys on a podcast <laughs> that you hadn't heard of before so we really appreciate everybody who's taken the time to come on and share their perspective and we're really looking forward to having more guests uh who can continue to share insight and, and valuable knowledge with our listeners yes thank you all so much it really has been a blast and uh we look forward to hopefully having you tune in for future seasons and you know, always open to feedback. So if you want to try and reach out and we look forward to seeing you in the next seasons. See you next season. Bye.